All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Strike that. Folks. <laughs> Strike that. And go. This is Women Who Start Up Radio, podcasting from the Mile High City, Denver, Colorado. With 300 days of sunshine, the highest percentage of high school and college graduates in the nation, lots of women entrepreneurs, and more microbreweries than any other U.S. city. Women Who Start Up Radio brings you knowledge, insight, and inspiration from women entrepreneurs and founders. Here are your hosts, Lizelle Van Buren, founder of Women Who Start Up and CEO of Effectively, and Krista Morgan, co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. Hello, Krista. Hello, Lizelle. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I'm happy that we're kicking off episode two. Um, We've received some very interesting feedback based on episode one alone. Yeah, I think we, I mean, the best feedback we got, or some of the best feedbacks, I actually wrote this guy in Austin, this entrepreneur in Austin, that had kind of inspired me to do this. He had said, saw me speak at Austin Startup Week, and he said, you know, he's like, you should find a way to get your voice out to more women. You seem very confident. And that was the spark that ended up leading to a pedicure that led to an idea that led to a podcast. (laughs) So I, um, yeah, and we got feedback from him and feedback from loads of people. And I, I'm so excited that we're doing this. Yeah. We're reaching people. We are stirring great conversation. We're getting lots of emails. And if you're out there on Twitter and you want to engage in the conversation, hit us up. Women who start up is the Twitter handle, and the hashtag is Women Disrupt. And we want to hear from you. Um, you don't just have to know us on a personal level to shoot us an email. We want to know from you from all over the place. Last week you went to San Francisco. This week you, I think you got some good news. So tell me about that. Yes. So our company, we're kind of we're starting on a on a new on a new journey, right? We we got started, and now we have traction, and now we have to figure out how to go out and raise real capital. Uh, And so I spent last week in Silicon Valley, really my first week ever in Silicon Valley. And I was expecting to not really like it. And I loved it. I loved it. It felt like just I was surrounded by all of these awesome entrepreneurs, men, women, all kinds of people. And the buzz and the energy was just amazing. And so I feel kind of pumped this week, Lizelle. Good. Yeah. I'm like excited to be an entrepreneur. Well, if you're not, nobody else will be for you, right? That's right. Uh, So, and yeah, so we're out talking to some big VCs, and it's very different and kind of nerve-wracking. And I think uh, as we get into some of the articles this week, you know, a lot of the theme is just women and the confidence. And I will tell you, having sat firsthand in an office in Sand Hill Road in front of, like, a big-name VC, I did feel a lack of confidence and I felt like I had to up my game and it was nerve wracking and it was terrifying. And I can see why there are a lot of people, women, men, all kinds of people that really, um, it's not for everyone. It's kind of where I'm at with it. What got you through that terrifying moment before you, whatever, had to walk into the boardroom to pitch or that what is, what did you think in your head? Like, buck oh. up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I said to myself. Well, number one, I had Aaron with me. And so having someone with me to kind of give me that confidence. But I'll tell you the one thing I had 
was all my numbers down cold. And I know that's actually, that has helped me. I've been pitching a ton lately. And to be able to just hang my hat on our numbers, like we have this growth rate, this was our revenue, this was what it was last month, this is our gross margin, this is our, this is the percentage of our new deals versus percentage of, you know, uh, growth in existing deals. Really getting into the nitty gritty of my numbers and being able to speak to it gave me tons of confidence. Because right then when they asked me questions, I I had an answer for it. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's something that all people, but I think women often struggle with is we get kind of afraid of getting into the numbers like we don't understand them. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, have embraced it. Yeah, it seems to be an important thing that I tend to talk to women who start up members too, or when I'm just generally speaking with other entrepreneurs, I mean, before you walk into a pitch session, know your numbers. It seems like a logical thing to have down. And it's also good to talk about, okay, market opportunity, viability. Yeah, I have this great product. But you you said this best when we, we talked maybe a couple of weeks ago. You're like, well, what's your gross margin? What's your budget? Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Finances seem to be a breakdown. Um, well, because I think, too, it gives people confidence that you know what you're talking about. Right? That was what I saw. They would ask me a question. I would have an answer. And even if they didn't love the answer, it um, – yeah, it, I think it, it made them see me in a different light. Like, I knew what I was doing, and I felt like a real CEO because, you know, I'm new to the CEO job. So I felt like I'm coming into my own in it. Yeah. I mean, it's – What's the date? February 13th. Oh my God, it's Friday the 13th. Is it really? Are you superstitious? <laughs> I'm not. We, should, we missed the lottery though, didn't we? We did yeah. miss the lottery. So yeah. never mind. Yeah, exactly. I've been CEO for like uh, six weeks, basically. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Have you had to fire or hire anybody since you've been CEO? That's a good question. I don't think so. Good. No. Good. No, thankfully. Both are good. Both are good. No All fires, right. no hires. All right, so current events. So yep. what are we talking about this week? Um, dive into it. I mean, you are fresh back from your travels to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I know you and I have chatted about um, the Newsweek article, what Silicon Valley thinks of women. I don't think we need to hammer this around too much, but I- I'm eager to hear what you thought about the article. I mean, we know what the interwebs thought of the article because it was a excitable conversation online. But what did you think of the article? I I'm really torn about it. I'm torn. I don't. I, I think I'm still caught up in the glamour of Silicon Valley, and so as I read the article, it almost like brought me down to the reality that there really aren't a lot of you know. I'm one of a few women that has sat, you know, in front of some of these VCs. I'm definitely one of the only women who's running a fintech company who's sitting in front of them. And it did For the listeners, what is fintech? Oh, sorry, financial technology. Got it. Uh, And and here's what I will tell you is that every single VC that I sat in front of was pretty young, was white, was male, was attractive, and very well-dressed. Couldn't believe it. Like, every young, well-dressed man who's quite smart is sitting in Silicon Valley right now. It was almost, it was just serious. It was like, I could look at someone and be like, you must be a VC. Yeah. So that, I thought, was quite uh, entertaining. And um, 
Um, but I like I felt okay about it. I did notice that I was a woman. I did notice there were fewer women around in the circles we were traveling in. Um, and this article resonated with me because I know this is the experience a lot of women are going through. And I think where I'm torn is that I'm not sure that I've felt this yet. And I'm wondering, am I going to? Am I not going to? Why? Mm-hmm. You know, what is different about me? What is different about this company? Is it the company? Is it me? Is it them? What is it? And and I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay, but so... Uh, okay, so we had two worlds of yeah. people and feedback and conversations around the article, What Silicon Valley Thinks of Women. First of all, <laughs> the illustration is, I would probably, I would, I would be lying if I didn't say it was smart because it gained that much, much attention. But of course, it made me cringe. So uh, as a past designer for most of my life, I was like, successful piece of art Uh, from a media standpoint I was like oh for god's sake really did we have to go that far to have the cursor lift up this chick's skirt (laughs) to to get this conversation you know really center stage however it did it got at center stage and people from left and right uh, and everyone in between had an opinion has an opinion and I think that is probably a good thing. So this is two things, two worlds that I heard from. I heard from Silicon Valley because I don't know if you saw the retaliation uh, article in response. This is what Silicon Valley women think of Newsweek. And it had the same illustrated chick with the middle finger. I did not see that. Okay. So Alexia from Techstars and all of them kind of said, "Mm, middle finger to you, Newsweek. We've come so far. I feel like you have retracted us with some progress. Now, you can read the article. We'll have it posted on the blog post associated with episode two on womanwhostartup.co. But the interesting thing about both of the conversations is, like, I can appreciate what Alexa is saying. I can appreciate her saying, for God's sake, Newsweek, you're not helping us. And then I can also understand for everyone else reading the article saying, you know what, there is still some things to chew on here. There's things that has to have to change. The experiences that were shared in the Newsweek article are not bullshit. Mm. However, we can also kind of package that up to say these are the only experiences. What we tend to not talk about enough are some of these women entrepreneurs who are getting help from all sorts of people, whether they're fundraising or whether they're not, um, whether they're trying to find the right resources and whether they get that from other men or other women. So my, I guess my point is, I think Newsweek did a good job to get this front and center again. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it'd be good for you to read the kind of responsive article from Alexia um, and if, if you want to follow Alexia from TechCrunch, she's at Alexia on Twitter. And um, she has, you know, she has a very powerful point of view. And um, and I respect that. I don't agree with everything she says. I don't agree with it, everything that most people say and vice versa. So that's a good thing. But I appreciated the Newsweek um, article. It was interesting. I also appreciated the retaliation that a lot of women in Silicon Valley said. But so anyway, so that's, you know, we're we're here in Denver, Colorado. So, um, 
One thing I would say about Colorado, and we talk about this quite a bit, you and I, Krista, we talk about this quite a bit, which is, I wouldn't say 90 or 100% of our startup communities here in Colorado, Boulder, Denver, Fort Collins, you name it, are zoned in and very, very conscious about diversity and leadership, diversity in tech, but I would say that more than the majority are. I know I am. I know I advocate for it. Yeah. I know I try and be an influencer in that regard, um, which will probably lead me, maybe segue me to the USA Today uh, article, which title is More White Women Does Not Equal Tech Diversity. Exactly. So what are you so what are you saying? So you're saying just us putting white women into tech startups isn't going to give us the diverse I, I mean look my perspective is we got a lot of problems in this world we have we do we have a lot of problems that we have to deal with and you know there's sexism we've got racism we've got ageism right there are all kinds of people that are being marginalized and I what we want are to have more diverse companies more diverse people like more people starting companies and what we're doing here is trying to support women, all women. And I think this just reminds us that we should be mindful, right? That's all it is. We should be mindful. Like if I look out into my company and I say, all I have is a whole company of white people who are 50% women, great. So now I have fixed gender diversity and now I can start to think about, you know, ethnic diversity and adding that into the mix. It's a really good article. <laughs> it's an important article. I want her conversation to be amplified. I want people to be more conscious and mindful of when it comes to the conversation around diversity and technology, we're not just talking about including more women. We are talking about being ex inclusive on all sorts of realms. I believe that women as a general rule are more inclusive by nature. And I think that having more women, even if they're white at the top of companies, is going to have a trickle down effect of getting more diversity uh, across the board. So one of the articles we looked at this week is on the Virgin Entrepreneur site, and it's four ways female entrepreneurs can fly in 2015. And really, the author's point is that there are not a lot of women in uh, Fortune 500 companies in leadership positions, 27, in fact, which is not a big number. And uh, and so she says there's actually a lot we can learn from the, you know, the Marissa Mayers and the Sheryl Sandbergs of the world. And what she says is there are kind of four things where we've got to take into consideration as women leaders. Number one, we have to prepare to go under the microscope. And so, therefore, people are going to be paying attention to us. Number two, we have to forget about being popular or even liked. We have to stick to our guns, and we have to take credit and give credit. And as a female leader, I would like to say that I – this whole forget about being popular or liked, I just think that's crap. I – enjoy building good relationships with people and being liked and not wandering around kind of acting like a bitch. That's not my way. And I don't think I should, I don't think to be a good leader, I have to not care what people think of me. I think my reputation, how I engage with people is a core part of who I am. And it's a core part of what makes me a great leader. And so it's really yep. kind of makes me mad. I don't give a crap where you come from what you look like, what your gender is. If you have something good and positive to contribute to society, to technology, to life, Agreed. do it. Work your ass off relentlessly to do that. 
Yeah, leaders don't need to be jerks. I would say that you are correct, but sometimes when you're leading, it can come across maybe that you're a jerk because you have to say maybe no more often than others, or maybe you have to project a little bit and say, this is the vision, we have to attempt it. Even if we fail, we've got to give this a shot. Um, uh, all, but I'm with you. I'm with you. All I know is when I read these things, you know, here's what women leaders need to do. What this says to me is women leaders need to be like male leaders. Yeah. And my only point is the whole reason that we're doing this podcast, that we're out here talking about women entrepreneurs, is that we want more female leaders who are putting female qualities out into the world and being inclusive. Yeah. So tell us what you think on Twitter. At Women Who Start Up. Hashtag... Women, women disrupt, disrupt and tell us what you think. And we're going to post all these articles on the blog. All of them. All of them. On womenwhostartup.co. Okay, so as always, we've got an incredible guest in the house. Today is Jacqueline Ross, the founder and CEO of Revelar. Learn more about Revelar on uh, their website at revelar.com. That's R-E-V-O-L-A-R. Very, very cool new startup. Your personal security wearable. Yes, they're in the wearable technology space. She's going to tell us all about it today. Krista, take it away. Let's ask some questions and let's say hello to Jacqueline. Hi, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm excited. Yeah, we are too. We love uh, meeting new founders and hearing about what they're doing. So let's just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I was originally born in Miami. And I have moved around significantly. My father was in IT, and so we have lived in Miami, Mexico, Switzerland, Georgia, Boulder. And um, of all those places before my, my father passed, I'd asked him, you know, we've lived around the world, which was your favorite? And he said, Colorado, hands down. We were the happiest here as a family. And <laughs> so when I graduated from college, I moved out here with the Teach for America program and taught out at Excel Academy in Aurora for two years while getting my company off the ground. And so it was a bootstrap central, I guess you could say, and teaching was, of course, the most lucrative career I could have picked for bootstrapping. Um, but it was an incredible opportunity, and I still love my Aurora community out there and volunteer. In fact, we were volunteering there this week. Nice. Awesome. So what is what is Revelar and how did you kind of how did you come up with this idea? Sure. Um so Revelar um and it has two different pronunciations. It comes from the Spanish word revolar, which means to fly again. And um we are a bilingual multicultural group in in leadership for our company. And so it really mattered to us to have something that that meant something. And um Revelar was inspired by my little sister. So my little sister was attacked twice before the age of 17, and it was from her experiences that I learned that we were not doing enough to keep our loved ones safe. Um, when we looked at traditional methods of personal security, such as pepper spray or tasers, not only can you not travel with these devices, but they're more likely to hurt you than help you. Um, and in fact, after my sister's second attack, she, my mom bought her pepper spray, because that's what you buy your, your, your loved ones. And she had to get homeschooled. Her health had deteriorated because often after attacks, you there's a lot of different emotions going on, and her health took a toll. And so she was homeschooled her final year of high school. Walked into a testing site with a key with her pepper spray and her keychain, signed in, put the keychain in her backpack, um, was asked to leave, 
failed on the exam and suspended from the program, um, in fact, for over a week from the online homeschool program, and my mom had to fight and say that, no, my daughter was carrying that pepper spray not as a weapon, um, but to protect herself, and after everything she's been through, how can you further victimize her? And so they actually reduced the, the suspension for a week. Um, but it was from this and that I realized that there just wasn't a nonviolent solution. Hmm. And I remember thinking in a very cliche way, I wish she'd had a button, and if she had pressed it, I would have known where she was. Hmm. And it's kind of been history from there. I have been pursuing this um, since that initial concept almost two years ago. Um, started the patent search process, you know, really made sure that we had a strong legal foundation for the company, um, which was where the bootstrapping came in, and um, left teaching this past year to pursue this full time and have built up my team since. I mean, Jacqueline, thank you for sharing that. I mean, first of all, it's usually commendable to see someone come at a very personal journey to try and solve a problem. So it's always tough to hear people's personal challenges that kind of led to innovation. At the same time, it's inspiring people's personal challenges leading to innovation. I mean, that's some of the best innovation that we can speak of, right? So I'm pretty sure millions of people would find your security wearable pretty awesome and probably wish that they've had it for years to come. So a very personal journey led you into entrepreneurship. Yes. Basically saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve this problem. It's not like, are you an engineer? No, um, okay. I was not an engineer. <laughs> and we actually just um, brought onto our team our first CTO. He was actually on our board of advisors, Donna nice. Bailey. He is a specialist in information security. I like to refer to him as an ethical hacker. And he <laughs> nice. has built his whole career on finding the vulnerabilities in products. And so when we met, he decided that he wanted to take his strengths and use them to make our device just that much more secure. Hmm. And so it not only protects you because it allows you to call for help, but it protects you because of the security architecture in place so that you yourself, um, because one of the things that mattered to me most was empowering freedom. And our device, once you press that alert, so it's a tiny, I'm sorry, I should take a step back. It's a tiny wearable device about the size of a quarter that hides under your clothing and you can either clip it onto your clothing or you can put it on your keychain. When in danger, you press this button and it activates our smartphone app which sends out a GPS link. It does not track you until you ask it to track you. Mm. And I happen to think that this is a really important differentiator with our security product. Mm. Because I did not, I would not want to be tracked 24-7 and I did not want anybody that I was trying to help being tracked 24-7. It was really for us about when you need help, it is there. But if you don't, please go on and live your life freely and happily and without the feeling like somebody is watching you all the time. That's an interesting concept, right? Because when it comes to wearable technology or all these new IoT, which is Internet of mm -hmm. Things types of devices, there is an essence of security breach being a substance uh, or, or an issue. So that's fascinating that you're mentioning that. It's not a matter of being tracked all the time, but when needed... Exactly. Your location is pinpoint accurately for whomever you have given permission to be yes, tracked, right? Exactly. So you get to pick who comes to your call for help. Um, because again, we want to, it's about choice. Yeah. It's about letting people pick how do they want to feel secure. Um, and 
we really believe that our technology is going to give enable that freedom. And because it is interchangeable within different colors, you can wear it no matter where you are, what you're doing. Yep. Um, and because of the hidden aspect, this has two advantages. One, the hidden aspect of our wearable allows for de-escalation of violence. Often when you're in these, when you find yourself in these situations, um, like my sister did, you are unable to to make it very clear that if you reach for your phone, if you, you know, if you make any sudden movements, it can make a situation worse. Hmm. So by being able to call for help discreetly, it helps, gives you that time to kind of maybe see if you can talk, you know, your way out of that conversation or if you can buy time. Um, and the hidden aspect also allows you to wear it for men or women. And that's really important because I wanted to help as many people as possible. And that hidden aspect allows it to be gender neutral. <laughs> It's okay. Take a sip. <laughs> so tell us, Jacqueline, where are you in the entrepreneurial life cycle? Are you getting to revenue? Are you in market? So we've just finished establishing the team that's necessary. We are spending this week and next week interviewing manufacturers, and we're launching our Kickstarter campaign in a month. So we're very excited for that because it's going to be able to prove that there is a need and that people are ready for our solution. And so we launched that Kickstarter about midway through March. And if you want more information on that, feel free to go on our website where you can sign up your email address and stay up to date with our Kickstarter. Yep. Check out revelr.com. Support them on their Kickstarter. So let's delve into some questions by an entrepreneur, such as yourself, for other entrepreneurs. Okay? So what would you like to say to other women who are considering starting up? Some of the things that I've seen, not even just with women, but even with people in general, but from teaching young girls, I definitely saw this with my young students, was women can be so hard on themselves. You think you need all the answers from the start. But building a company is about finding those answers and about finding those solutions, often in very creative ways because you have limited resources. And I think that women do that incredibly well is function with limited resources. Mm -hmm. And it's one of our strengths. And what I would love to see is a little bit more fearlessness about not needing all the answers right away. Because one of the things that I think Colorado does incredibly well is help provide those resources if you go looking for them. The startup community here has been incredibly gracious, kind towards us um, and very helpful. So when I have a question, I usually can find that answer. And so I think I've seen that hold people back and I'd love to see them, you know, step forward and say, I don't need all the answers right now, but I know I can find them. What would you say is, you know, from your experience so far, how long have you been trepping away? Two and a half years now. Okay. So what would you say is, is some of your biggest challenges being an entrepreneur? And it could be anything. <laughs> um, for us, or at least for me, it was being an entrepreneur who had a tech idea with no tech background. Mm. Um, because I was showing up to interview engineers without any basis of knowing whether they were the right fit for what I needed. And it took me a few times. And that's why when Don came onto the team and he, his vision and values perfectly aligned with ours, it was, oh, it was almost like a dream come true. Because for the first time, I could make the changes I needed to the technology in order to make it more effective mm. and efficient in helping people. And being able to do that in-house was a, is a great resource. 
And so a big challenge for me was making sure that I not only had the funds to get me to this point, um, which was very difficult to do, but um, then finding those correct resources. Because often it's, you need to find somebody that is invested in your vision. And working with contract engineers, not that they were not wonderful, because they were, they're incredible human beings, but they were not part of this, this family that we've created at Revolar. And it was now having that capability to do that has, has made our technology so much better. And I'm, I'm so proud of this partnership and where it's going to go. That's amazing. It's amazing to hear. So you touched a little bit while speaking of challenges as an entrepreneur, you, you talked a little bit about um, how difficult fundraising was. <laughs> Talk just briefly a little bit of what was the most challenging? Why was it so challenging? And then, of course, there's a green, happy ending, right? You, you, you well, yes, we're, we're getting with you're getting there. Um, <laughs> I have to admit, it was very disheartening at first. You look at the t statistics of women going into tech and it is disheartening. <laughs> um, it's Silicon Valley of all the companies that were funded in the past year. Only 2.7% were female-led. Hmm. And that was just in the Newsweek article that recently came out. And I could not believe that that was the case. Um, because I really thought we'd come a little bit further. Hmm. <laughs> and um, that was a nerve-wracking thing, knowing that already the odds were stacked against us. However, I've just chosen to ignore them. <laughs> I think is the best way to put it, because what I've learned is you're going to hear no. And I'd actually rather hear no because then you're not wasting my time. If you don't want to work with me, let me know off the bat. Yep. So then I can move on and find that person that will. Because there is somebody that is going to love your dream as much as you do and take care of it. We all call it our baby. So it's it, awesome. Yes. Yeah. I, and I, I agree with that. And I would just add, though, that I think that 2.7% is a bit of a misnomer only because a lot of the women that are entrepreneurs and starting companies are not necessarily starting companies that are right for venture-backed funding. Agreed. Agreed. And so we just have to, you know, make sure we don't get disheartened because, you know, uh, the venture capitalist is looking for a very specific thing. And a lot of women who are starting passion-driven businesses don't need that necessarily. Not exactly. And what I learned through my research was, yes, those statistics were disheartening, but there's other avenues. There's other ways that you can find funding, and it does not have to be this very traditional route. Because, like you said, VC funding may not be – it's not for the stage we're in. It's definitely not for the stage that we're in as a company, um, but it could be down the road. But for now, Kickstarter gives us that opportunity to get our first loyal customers who are going to believe in our product as much as we do, um, because we know that we have a value proposition that is going to make a difference. And that's really was our goal was how can we help people and make this technology useful and because of all the unique platforms there are out there right now for crowdfunding, you know, it's, it's incredible what you can do. Crowdfunding as a source of fundraising is generally, I think, only now picking up momentum. People are starting to really understand that if I want to take matters into my own hands and get my product out there in the marketplace, crowdfunding platforms, including platforms like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Crowdfunder, man, there's so many now yes. if you have very... Um, Nonprofit-oriented uh, focuses as well. Those platforms are starting to pop up, so th that's amazing. Um, I think Kickstarter and Indiegogo are incredible platforms to help people. So it's interesting to hear 
I'm grateful for them. <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful that they exist. Yeah. Because it's allowing us to get our message out there. And yeah. I, you know, you look at other avenues and it's not that traditional investor funding is something that we're taking off the table, but that doesn't get your message across to millions of people the way Kickstarter does. This is something interesting, which I just thought about. So in my personal experience, I worked on a startup project, you know, the last five months, we launched a crowdfunding campaign. It was very successful. I'm very proud of it. It was a lot of work. On top of it, we were um, fundraising a seed round. But the interesting thing, and I want to know what you think about this, is I hadn't thought of this until right now. The element of crowdfunding removes the element of gender because you're just putting your product out there in the marketplace and people of all walks of life, all age groups are either adopting or not adopting. Absolutely. I mean, did you think about that? Have you ever thought about that? Does uh, that it's, you know, the, that, that was a big reason for it was that it was going to be about the product and I was going to be able to showcase how incredible my team was as well and be taken for, um, what I like to see is for the value that we bring with the passion that we have versus having to, I'm not even sure what the right word would be to put it, but to have to, like you said, go in front of these groups who are looking for a very specific path. And our team is very multicultural and we do not look like the stereotypical tech team. Um, we are a, you know, four women with one male and, and even Don, he's half Latino. And so our whole group has a Latin female base and it's, it's not what you see every day in tech, but it's been exciting to get to build up our own community within our, within our Revelar family and to get people excited about that. Um, but no, Kickstarter is amazing for so many different ways as a platform for, for female entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, I think in the end, Kickstarter, the success on Kickstarter has a lot to do with the marketing and telling your story and, you know, women, I, I actually think women are great at telling stories mm -hmm. and they can be really compelling. And But I wouldn't say that Kickstarter removes the issue of it is still about the founder. People who are going onto, the, onto Kickstarter are still looking for that story. Idea. Yeah, but you don't think it's different than walking into a boardroom with a bunch of guys and pitching them? You don't think it's different to go on an online platform and you're just telling that story, trying to get your product adopted i think that's actually like it's a revelation how different that is and at the end of the day the objective is raising money i i think walking into going out into kickstarter and telling your story in a compelling way and getting people to believe you is no easier than walking into a boardroom and convincing a set of investors to believe in you i i don't i and i think is it harder because a lot of those investors are men maybe at the same time, I think that if you, I think there is a, there's a way to go out and raise investor capital. And I think women are just as capable uh, as men of going out and doing it. Yes. We're just, we're just not, or we may lack confidence to do it, but we are certainly more than capable. And, you know, there's, anyway, I think fundraising is a huge topic and I, I wouldn't necessarily. 
I think Kickstarter has its its costs and its benefits. You know, we and it does cost yeah. money to launch a Kickstarter yeah. campaign. It is not you know just throw a video up there. There is a whole process that I've learned about, and it's it's been incredible to see my team take that process and make it a reality. Um, but what I really like about Kickstarter right now is that it's allowing us to. So something that I've always wanted to be able to do is give back. It is part of our values as a company that we can give back to the community that we see being most vulnerable. And so one of the market segments that we'd realize we have is women who are, you know, in shelters and who are, you know, trying to stay secure and safe and hidden right now. And what we're going to be able to do with the Kickstarter is give people an option to donate for free one of these products to an anonymous person in a domestic violence shelter so that these women now are going to have access to this personal security device that they may not have had. And for me, it's, it's, the women in the shelter, but especially as they're transitioning out of that shelter to be able to give them access to this technology um, really means a lot to us. And we're excited to be at the point where we can give back. And Kickstarter has given us that platform to do so because it's going to be an option. Well, Jacqueline, let me just say that I got goosebumps listening to that. I think it is a wonderful, wonderful thing that you're doing. I think you have a great mission. It, you know, we've met your team. You have an amazing team. And I am... Um, I, I'm really impressed. I know Lizelle and I are both impressed, and we're really glad that you came on today to tell us your story. Thank you. So it's been awesome to learn more about Revelar. Jacqueline, really appreciate that you've been hanging out with Krista and I, come talking t with us here at Women Who Startup Radio. Um, how can people learn more about you and your product? Um, to learn more about me, please feel free to follow me on Twitter at Jackie underscore Ross, or Ross with one S, R-O-S. <laughs> and then um, for... For, for Revelar, please go on our website and sign up to stay up to date with our Kickstarter campaign. That is by far the number one way that you can support us right now. Um, you can find us on Facebook as well to stay up to date. But if you go on that website and you sign up, I promise you that we will keep you up to date. And that is Revelar.com. Yeah. R-E-V-O-L-A-R. Yes. Revelar. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jacqueline. So today we got to talk about what Silicon Valley thinks of women and then also what... Uh, what women in Silicon Valley think of Newsweek, which I thought was really interesting. And we talked about qualities of women leaders, and I got to complain about the fact that I actually think that wanting to be liked and being a nice, friendly person does not make you a bad leader. And then we had the most awesome guest in the world. Amazing. Amazing. Jacqueline, it was a pleasure to talk to. It's cool to see some young ladies hitting the wearable technology space. Yeah. Um, and not just because they can, because they want to make a tremendous difference. Um, and wearable technology is a really tough thing. Like, I I mean, I was proud of myself. I'm like, oh, I started a fintech company. And then Jack, Jackie comes in here and Jacqueline comes in here and, and says, yeah, with no background, I've built a wearable device. And she's getting it manufactured and she's engineering it. And if anything, that is so hard. That's what we want to leave people with. Agreed. Feel encouraged, listeners. If you are an entrepreneur... And your heart's desire is to change something in the world. Do not let a technicality be your stumbling block. Find those who can help you create the solution, build the product, launch the service, whatever it is that you're trying to fix. Find the problem, be passionate about it, but don't let not being an engineer be this big hinder. It will require you to build a team. And remember, like I always say, entrepreneurship is a team sport. Krista lives by that rule. I live by that rule. Um, 
that's a really important uh, takeaway from today. Do not let your lack of technical background or the fact that some people discriminate against women in Silicon Valley, right? Just all of these things that we're talking about are not actually barriers. They're just things you need to know to better prepare you to go out into this world of entrepreneurship. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Lizelle, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. And you, and you. So if people want to continue the conversation with us, at Women Who Start Up on Twitter, hashtag Women Disrupt. Send us questions, send us thoughts, feedback, anything you want, and uh, we will we'll respond. We'll engage. We sure, we sure <laughs> will. We follow um, inf- you know, messages coming into our social media wholeheartedly. We love hearing from you. Um, the listeners, we love getting questions. It fuels us for our next episodes. We can't wait to talk to you next time from P2B Investor's office. And mind you, may I just say again, a big, fat, sloppy thank you to my incredible sponsor and partner in crime here. I want to thank P2B Investors for really investing in women who start up, for making a difference, and for wanting to be uh, a real game changer in the conversation around women who start up. Thank you to my co-host, Krista Morgan, for um, for chatting away with important stuff and (laughs) and trying to be the difference we see in the world. Also want to extend a massive thank you to our producers, Aaron Bassetti, our VP of Marketing here at P2B Investor, and Leah Charney, the operations maven at Wide Focus. Uh, We really couldn't do this without them. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for listening to Women Who Start Up Radio with Lizelle Van Buren and Krista Morgan. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to tell everyone you know to subscribe on iTunes. Check out our website, womenwhostartup.co, and follow us on Twitter at Women Who Start Up. And don't forget our hashtag, Women Disrupt. This has been a Women Who Start Up production. Join us next time for another edition of Women Who Start Up Radio.